Hey, 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 welcome to the Really Charlie Podcast, where I try to bring to you some educational and inspirational speakers, whether they're authors, you know, singers, dancers, entertainers, community activists, whatever it may be. We are really trying, really, like, really, like, really, 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 really trying to get the message out. I know, really? Yeah, yeah, really, we're really trying to get this message out. So join me on the Really Charlie Podcast once, twice, three times, four times a week, it all depends. If you want your story out there, just reach out to me. And I'll put you on the Really Charlie podcast. God bless. And stay blessed. Take care. I don't know if you can see in the background, you can see... Uh... Yeah. That's it. Let me go. Hey, hey. Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome to the Really Charlie podcast. Today's guest is a mentor, a leader, an icon for the city of New Bedford, Mr. Lee Charlton, former president of NAACP, also plant engineer at the Greater New Bedford Regional Voltech High School here in New Bedford along with a, a few years at New Bedford High School. Also, definitely one of my mentors growing up, and I'm very, very honored to have him here to speak with us and share some stories with us. Hello, Mr. Charlton. How are you doing? Great. Good to see you, Charlie. Yes, always a pleasure to see you. Um, thank you for being a, a guest on the Really Charlie podcast. And uh, just to let you know, the name really Charlie comes from my wife because when I do things around the house or say things to her, one of the first things she says is really Charlie. So <laughs> <stuck with it. laughs> that's what I told them up at the school there. They had a memorial for all the people who that worked at the greater New Bedford region vocational had passed. So they had a function outside there where they had a commemoration to them. And I told the uh, the superintendent at the time that when I worked for a vocational, I was a very responsible person. I had a very responsible job because everything that went wrong, I was responsible. And uh, she's still laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is funny. <laughs> and uh, just uh, you mentioned I was plant engineer at New Bedford High School, but uh, the fact is, I was the, my feet were the first two feet in New Bedford High School when they were building that. And I also, uh, the same two feet were the first in New Bedford uh, vocational. Because that's all, my wife was the one that told me when she saw the, it advertised, she says, isn't this what you did in the Air Force? And I said, for eight years, that's exactly what I did. I was plant engineer or uh, facilities engineer. And that's where I went to school for. Uh, and did all my training, even with the Navy. Uh, they sent me uh, to school with the Navy, with the CBs. And I like their motto, uh, we've done so much for so long with so little now, we can do anything with nothing. And the difficult we do right away, the impossible takes a little longer. 
So once you get an attitude like that, you can do just about anything. Exactly. Exactly. Um, most people get stopped by their own self, you know, their own. Um, you don't know what you can do till you try. Exactly. And nothing yeah. beats a try but a failure. If you don't mm-hmm. try, you're going to fail every time. And I'm only trying to fail once, so I'm not <laughs> trying to <laughs> Just once, huh? Yeah, just once. <laughs> well, you've done, the, uh, done a great job so far. Yeah, we, we uh, thanks to guys like you and women that are out there also. You know, I, I love I love the fact that um majority of people in my life that taught me pretty much what I um what I know has been a bunch of women, a bunch of strong hey, women. I and, I mirror that I was raised by a strong woman in West Virginia because men were all in the coal mine and uh, I had the toughest grandmother in the world. You know, she could kill a brick. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> this lady would not take no for an answer and uh, she was the one that told me uh, don't let them use you uh, or abuse you and I absolutely uh, uh, believe in that uh, she told me uh, you know you make up your mind to do something just, just stick with it and I absolutely um, when I had a my step-grandfather had a stroke and I uh, I had to, at the age of 10, I had to step into, in his shoes and do things around the house that most people don't do, like uh, uh, carrying a half a ton of coal, you know, and a couple 40-pound buckets. But, you know, it, it made me strong than the other kids my age. That came in handy when they tried to bully me. But, uh, no, uh, Charlie, uh, you've done well, and <laughs> I'm extremely proud to know you and your family. And uh, all of your cousins and uncles, and I work with a few of them, uh, and I know many of them from uh, just being in New Bedford. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, we... if you've been in as many groups as I've been in New Bedford, you know, uh, they put a few in the book a booklet I shared with you. Mm-hmm. But I had to be in at least 10, 11 um, organizations in the, the year that they, um, I was in the hospital getting my back worked on. I had my calendar and I was scheduled to show a peer or uh, view 125 uh, community activities, 125. Mm-hmm. And I, then I discovered why I was in the hospital. I was overdoing things <laughs> mm-hmm. and I should have taken care of my back earlier, you know. But uh, again, if you don't try anything, you can't accomplish anything. So true. And mm-hmm. I looked at all of the people in our community and what they have done for New Bedford and uh, especially women. And I can tell you that um, most of the people who worked on my committees and got things done, by and large, were women. Because mm-hmm. if they said they were gonna show up, they did. And exactly. uh, you didn't have to call them. They call you and, and told me what they have done and what they were planning on doing. So I can tell you that New Bedford Historical Society and all uh, that started because uh, Helen Gomes, ACA, came to mm-hmm. see me and they were forming that and they wanted a place to have a meeting. And I agreed to let them have the meetings at the NAACP. And that's how I got involved because Helen was in there. And then I met uh, some of the brightest people in New Bedford and uh, 90, <laughs> 95% of them were women. And, uh, you know, anyone who's taking uh, credit now 
should have been around when uh, these women were fighting for that. And I understand that uh, they're going to have uh, the historic park uh, dedicated this year when uh, Frederick Douglass and uh, now has taken his rightful place in New Bedford. Um, and I got in, in, um, involved really when I, um, I went to a meeting up in, uh, um, in Maine. And as I walked in, I saw them uh, dedicating a monument to Frederick Douglass in Lynn, Massachusetts. Then I wanted to know, well, I asked the fellow uh, who was the president of the Lynn branch, uh, what did Frederick Douglass do in Lynn? Well, he wrote the narrative of a slave there. And, of course, once he wrote the book, uh, he was still a fugitive slave. They knew where he was. So that's when he left and went to England, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can tell you that uh, uh, I told a fellow right then and there, Abner Darby, I said, you just got me in trouble. And he says, what do you mean? I said, if they've got a monument to him in Lynn, he got his name in New Bedford, and I'm going to have one next year. <laughs> and that was '94 and '95. We had that. We had that monument. Okay. That's awesome. How, how long was that process? Was it a couple well, of it years? Took a, it took a year. It took a year because I announced what I was going to do, and I spoke to um, uh, Mr. Rogers, who was uh, uh, a teacher at New Bedford, Greater New Bedford Regional. Uh, Regional. And he taught uh, literature, so he knew of Frederick Douglass. And then I, I spoke to uh, the mayor uh, at the time, and uh, I spoke to a few other people. I was on that committee to do something with this, and uh, it was my idea to uh, get um, Fred Marcel, who portrayed Frederick Douglass. That's what he did. That was his own time. He was an uh, actor. And when I found out what he charged, uh, because I had a videotape, what he charged for a performance, and that he would charge us $9,000 for the uh, nine performances he was going to do in New Bedford, then I set about to raise the money. And I went to the, uh, uh, the school, uh, superintendent of schools in New Bedford at the time and um, gave him a copy of that videotape, and he agreed to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that started the ball rolling, uh, but then I found out there was a one-man, two-act play that normally they did, uh, you know, after they did the individual ones at the school. So I took a, a week's vacation, rented a car so I could take him, uh, escort him around to the nine schools and do his performance. And I, the car needed to have enough room in the trunk so that he could put his, uh, all his paraphernalia in there and um, found him a place, the skipper uh, over in Fairhaven, um, a place, and he was a vegetarian. So I went down at the airport. My wife and I picked him up, brought him back, uh, set him up with some food, and I was his liaison in New Bedford uh, for the week that he was here. And he did uh, uh, the nine plays, but uh, I had to, I tried to get the group to go to several banks with me, to secure mm -hmm. the additional $5,000. And uh, they were a little hesitant to do it. And so I says, I'll do it myself. And at the time, I just happened to be a cooperator on the Compass Bank. And I went to see uh, the president of the bank, uh, Real Britain. And I gave him a copy of Frederick Douglass uh, performances uh, as done by Fred Marcel. Mm -hmm. And uh, through him and his, the people in the bank, 
I got a check for $5,000 for that. And uh, I had to be the MC, but nobody else was interested in being the MC at the Zyterian, one man, two act play. And we were going to have a reception afterwards. So I went to the Chamber of Commerce and I got $300 uh, donation from the Chamber of Commerce. I went to Vocational and I had them make me some trays of food, which I put in the back of that big vehicle. And I took them down to the, uh, to the theater myself. And I tell you, with all the things we got done uh, that week, it was a, a great week. And I noticed uh, to Fred Marcel uh, that when he was talking to youngsters about Frederick Douglass and how uh, at six months of age he was taken away from his mother so they would not bond and given to what they call a mammy. And uh, then they, his mother was sold to another plantation owner. And Frederick Douglass' mother, only he only got to see his mother uh, two or three times in life because this other plantation was 12 miles away from where Frederick Douglass was being raised by this uh, surrogate mother. And But she made an effort, and they had to work from uh, sun, uh, sun up to sundown. She had to walk 12 miles, so that's the difference between New Bedford and Fall River. Mm -hmm. to spend maybe a couple of hours and get up and be back in the fields the next morning when the sun came up. Mm -hmm. Only a mother would do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he knew very little of his mother, but he knew that she did everything she could do to, uh, to see that he was well. But most people, if they read that story now, uh, uh, it's required reading in New Bedford, finally. Mm -hmm. And uh, you learn so much from that person uh, and I told people, uh, and I repeat it, uh, Frederick Douglass said it, an education unsuits a person to be a slave. And that's still true. Mm -hmm. uh, I said uh, in some of my writings, uh, unsuits them to be a slave, a flunky, or otherwise uh, taken advantage of. And uh, that's why, uh, based on anything that we do, Everyone needs a vocation. You got to trade your skills or your education for something redeemable in the form of cash because this is America. And America is the land of the fee and home of the buck. And now you've heard the other play on that, but you, you dispute the fact that if you don't have a buck in America, nothing is free. And you're going to have to figure out a way of getting some money because it's a means of exchange. And again, uh, people quote things, but sometime out of context and they says uh, money is the root of all evil no the way I heard it originally from the Bible was the love of money is the root of all evil because mm -hmm. you're going to need a means of exchange anyway but if you love it to the point where you disrespect dishonor and do things of a bad nature to other people that's the problem and that's the problem where we find in America why my relatives came here chained to the planks because although they escaped uh, tyranny and from the royalty in England they came here and what the first thing that they want free labor so uh, no Charlie uh, what goes around comes around mm -hmm. it, uh, it's amazing that it took from 1838 to 1995 to get something in New Bedford um, with uh you know with frederick Douglass, 
you know, in a, in a right place, you know, there's been other things that we see, you know, but to get that, that, that monument there is very, well, very he, important. He did not have an advocate. Uh, I asked people, I said, you probably couldn't give away the money all day if you tried. What is the inscription on that monument? You notice it, it's, it is facing the south. Mm -hmm. on, the, on the lawn as you come out of the door is facing south and i well i know what's on it because i picked it of all the things that he said is worthy of repeating and it's, it says as for me i prefer death to uh hopeless bondage and and i think most people would yes. you'd rather be dead than be somebody else's slave and uh, that's what frederick Douglass said and that's what he meant so true it um you know it is so many different you know historic people that come in and out of the city you know for for centuries and um you know it's very important that we pass on that history to the young ones because you think just think back about maybe just five years from five years from this date um five years ago rather that some people already forgot about that stuff you know they yeah. forgot about things and and so maintaining the history is very very important especially history is important because otherwise you will repeat the mistakes mm -hmm. uh there was a second um uh tablet uh, produced out of that same mold and i purchased that uh for myself on behalf of the naacp because i wrote the check and the, uh, the sculptor was uh, Reno Pisano. Mm -hmm. uh, and I asked him, uh, the one that's sitting in front of City Hall, um, that cost the city $2,800. And Reno told me if I wanted one and I was going to pay for it, he let me have it for $2,400. And uh, I thought, you know, the time was time to do it. So I wrote a check. And then I uh, had a bright idea. I put it in my newsletter for the people who wanted to be mentioned on a separate tablet, giving them credit for donating to that. If they would donate money, uh, I would put their name on a uh, on a placard right next to Frederick Douglass. And I was I ever surprised that the first two people who donated in the name of their son who had you know, just passed, was uh, Elsie and Tony Souza right away. Now, some people, uh, was a few people in there that were uh, very helpful me uh, getting this thing done. And uh, I put their name on it because uh, I think history should be true. They were very instrumental in me getting that. Now, subsequent to this, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, when the building was being rented out, and I knew very few people were going in. That uh, placard that I owned with some other people who contributed to me, uh, I donated it to the Frederick Douglass House at UMass Dartmouth mm -hmm. with the contingency that if they ever took it down or could not use it, it would come back to me. And so I took it down. They asked me, uh, could I have somebody take it down? I said, no, I'll take it down because... They want to know if I was capable. I said, "But I put it up, so I think I can take it down. And I took it down. It was in the uh, display case as you walk into your right. And uh, 
So I took it down, but uh, if you want to know where it is now, it's UMass Dartmouth, uh, the Frederick Douglass House. Okay, perfect. Um, the uh, one of the story, uh, one of the things that um, I like is uh, is one of your quotes that stuck with me, and um, I'm gonna let you tell the story. Is when the local newspaper came up to you and asked why. They can't get a story from you, and you gave the reporter a quote. If you remember that, could you tell the the viewers about that story? They asked me. Uh, um, now refresh my memory. Was this to uh, do with one of my um, events? This was when uh, they had asked you for uh, a statement, and you said, "I'll give you a, something about give you a statement if." Uh, if you get it because you don't get it right or something like that. I remember it, it was, uh, it will come to me. Let me just, I don't want to kind of. Oh, mess okay. it well, I can tell you why I, when they, uh, some people got together and they gave me that little brochure that I gave you mm-hmm. where they recognized my 24 years of devoted service to the NAACP, uh, at the Century house back in 2007. And, uh, uh people like Viola Pina, Council, mm-hmm. former counselor, and Great woman. Uh, Cynthia Edwards, and Great several woman. other uh, uh, people who uh, who got together and did it. And in fact, um, uh, I got the program here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the master of the ceremonies was Bruce A. Rose. And um, who's that? that? Made, I, don't, I don't know who. That I is. think you know that guy, right? You know him. <laughs> <laughs> A rose is a rose by any other name would sweat would smell as sweet, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, invocation was done by uh, Leona Fisher. Uh, Mark right. Green was the president at that time. Joyce Williams was the president of Newport Branch uh, NAACP. Uh, Mr. John Reed, uh, president of the Cape Cod Branch. Yes. Mr. Juan Cofield was the president of New England Area Conference, all 22 branches. And uh, now, uh, Lee V. Charlton II, my uh, grandson, was the mm-hmm. president of uh, NAACP Youth Council at, at back then. Wow. And uh, some people who gave presentation was um, uh, Mrs. Carmen Gamboya, who made a quilt with my likeness and some of my family members on it, my grandmother, Mrs. Cynthia uh, Cost, uh, no, Mrs. Cynthia Edwards, and mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Susan LaVenture, uh, who gave many years as a secretary, treasurer, you name it, she she served with distinction uh, okay. for the NAACP. And Great. I can tell you that uh, uh, I told them, because I didn't ask for this presentation or to be honored, but if they invited any politicians who had spent 24 years stabbing me in the back, that I would leave. So no, <laughs> no politicians got invited. Good. And that's the reason why, because I don't want them to give a misinterpretation of what they had done for myself or the NAACP. Although we had many that were good and mm-hmm. I couldn't uh, choose who would come and who would not come. And in lieu of that, I'd rather not have anyone that have someone misrepresenting the group. 
And that you hear it from me, and that's exactly what I told them. If they come, I'm leaving. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I, and, I, I can and, uh, I, I gather one of the reporters, I recall one of the reporters who did um, uh, a belated once they heard, uh, this was about a, uh, two or three weeks afterwards, and it was close to, well, i say there was over 300 people there. And as quiet as it's kept, I kept a copy of that, that how can you have a, a quiet uh, celebration when there was over 300 people there. And that's the reason it was quiet, because I didn't want any fanfare. I wanted the people who were allies and were true to the cause to be there. Why celebrate people who did not help you or, in many cases, actively worked against you? Mm -hmm. So uh, I would celebrate, and I also didn't take one from, uh, I was asked if I wanted uh, the celebration, traditional celebration from the school where I worked, and I think it would, uh, you know, that would be the height of uh, hypocrisy if I asked those people, uh, not knowing who would come and who would show, uh, many who might have come out of a, uh, a guilt feeling, I refuse to have anything done by the institution that I gave uh, my 22 plus years to. And as you see in the book there, Charlie, I, uh, I found out one thing that uh, I did 31 consecutive years while I was sick day because uh, people may say that I didn't do much, but they can't say I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I felt an obligation, and I look forward to going to school every day because to see young people come into an institution and not know how to turn on the light switch and in four years they could wire that whole school was uh, education and growth in itself. I watched people develop, and I watched their uh, the pride with which they did, and we had very little problems with vandalism in that school because they – they fixed things and repaired things and built things and created things at that school. And uh, there's nothing like a vocational education. Now people are realizing that. And not mm -hmm. only did uh, I see and appreciate what the kids did there, but uh, I'm a recipient of all of that. I went to uh, vocational schools in the state of Washington and in Oregon and in New York and in Florida and a few other places where I was stationed. The first thing I do once you clear the base education office find out where the local technical school is and it it was very redeeming uh to go to all of these different schools and get an education because there's nothing you can learn won't help you in some phase in your life true so true the um we uh we've talked about many things over the years and um the one of the one of the things that I've learned through, you know, the pamphlet you gave me and, and reading through that is that at a very, very young age, you was already determined to be a, a fighter, um, a leader uh, by example. And it just goes on and on. And, and, and until this day, you're still doing the same thing. Um, where do you get that from? Who, who, who is well, from who, some strong women? Mm -hmm. You know, just like you said yourself, we are the product of strong women. Uh, my father was a coal miner. 
and coal miners, uh, many of them uh, got a house close to the mine because uh, um, I had one uncle who worked that same uh, coal mine for 44 years. And if you ever seen, I got to let you see a copy of it, October Skies. Uh, that was based on um, some uh, young people from that little town where I was born, Coldwood, West Virginia. It probably had a uh, population of 400 or so. And uh, so it, in that movie, if you see it, it says uh, these people, uh, the people in uh, the closest place was Welch. They think we're hillbillies. And the one kid said, because we are. <laughs> if you live in the hill, that makes you a hillbilly. And that's irregardless of color. And we lived in different little sections there when I was born in a, uh, a coal miner's uh, 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 own building. And uh, the part of town I lived in, uh, they named it Mudhole. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you ask any people where he lived, they say, oh, he lives over in Mudhole, uh, mm -hmm. over in Snake Root. And they call it Snake Root for a reason. There's a bunch of rattlesnakes over there, you know. And those people were workers. They, mm -hmm. uh, they worked their whole life. And many of them died in the coal mine with the accidents, uh, with silicosis. <laughs> Uh, which I stated, uh, my father was uh, a victim. He left there, and he was a electrician in the uh, coal mine when they could not find a white electrician. Once they found one, he would have to train him and go back to drilling holes and, and blowing up coal seams. When he left there in the late 40s, because diesel was replacing coal as a fuel, and went to New York, he found out that the... Uh, his electrical background allowed him to be hired as a, the single male in a small manufacturing um, company. And the other people in that company were all, you know, uh, maybe a dozen uh, play, people were all women. Mm -hmm. And they hired him because he had expertise and, uh, and he was doing something that he was fully uh, entitled to do and educated to do. And he was going to charge less than his white counterpart. And the women, they didn't hire men to uh, make these step-up uh, transformers because they could pay a woman less than they could pay men. And that, that's the New York system. That's the United States system. Um, um, in New York, and it's been st stated, and you, you may have heard it, uh, down south, they didn't care how big you got, just don't get too close. And up north, they says, they don't care how close you get, just don't get too big. So, you know, uh, you could live, uh, if you had enough money, you could live next door uh, if you had enough money. Mm -hmm. Down south, they didn't care how much money you had. You had your own little section. And that gets back to my grandmother, who was a, uh, um, a living maid. And we had an apartment over some garages out back of the house. And I was raised in a white community. I couldn't play with the little white kids because if it was an argument, I was bound to lose. So I was not allowed to play with them. But mm -hmm. what I had to do, and uh, my sister, who was a couple years old, and she taught me how to read before I went to the first grade. Mm -hmm. Every Saturday, I got a comic book, so I extensively, I learned how to read out of comic books, and I taught myself how to be a, uh, a free hand drawer. I could draw those books, and I got a pad of paper, a couple of pencils, and a comic book every Saturday. 
so I could amuse myself and read those comic books. And I read all of her books, too, her school books. And so by, by the time I got to the first grade, yes, I could read. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, if it was anything uh, it was good was the fact I was not allowed to mingle. And that was Welch, West Virginia. And the fellow that's on TV, um, uh, he was from Welch, uh, the comedian that, uh, what's the, uh, the program to have uh, where they ask questions? Uh, Family Feud. Family Feud? Yep. Yeah, Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey, Steve, yep. Steve Harvey is from the same place, Welch, West Virginia. His father was a coal miner. I read all of this after the fact. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he's a few years younger. But in West Virginia, uh, I can recall uh, the first day of school, You after you got your book list, there would be a line of three, 400 people because you had to buy your books. In West Virginia, they didn't give you anything. Some of the more... Um, I would say uh, prosperous counties, uh, you could rent your books, but you didn't get free books. So everybody valued books, and I rarely saw a book without a book cover on it because Sunbeam Bread gave out free book covers. And you found what you did, you found someone. Uh, okay. No, uh, go ahead. Uh, I'll yeah, read this to you. Reading here. something there. Um, some people uh, made arrangement with if you had a neighbor who had a child in a grade ahead of you, you arranged to buy their books. And, of course, you you never dog it a book and you never left a book down because that was real money. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. and we also had to rent our lockers in school in West Virginia. They didn't give you anything but a chance. OK. And uh, so people were surprised. Uh, when we integrated in um, 1956, and I was the first one who showed up to play football, and I had to go sign up ahead of time, and they told us whatever, and it was myself and a fellow named Frank Hightower. I think he's believed he uh, is related to the Hightower that plays for the Patriots. But Franklin okay. Hightower and I uh, were agreed, uh, was Frank's idea that we go play, but I only lived about less than two blocks away from the school. Mm-hmm. But my neighbors on either side of me were white, and they didn't move out because we moved in. And um, so I showed up to play uh, football. Well, I got there on time and was about 100 guys in the uh, locker room and all the noise. And I walked in the door, and it became absolutely quiet. You could hear a mouse walking on cotton mm-hmm. when I walked in the door. And they saw me. And I, they, all around this, uh, on the wall, they had these signs, inspirational signs. And one I still remember. It says, we furnish everything here but guts. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, in October, not October, that was uh, August 15th, 1956. And mm-hmm. I can tell you, they, I got a hard way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when um, some of your own ex uh, schoolmates thought you uh, deserted them, they thought that you were leaving because uh, you wanted to leave for whatever reason, and it wasn't. Uh, I know that was the future of education. Uh, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to compete against them for a job. So that's Frank and I went down, and we were gonna play football because we both played football for Douglas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can tell you that. Uh, 
uh, although I played uh, what one of our, our second string quarterback told us, rinky-dinks, we ran all the plays, and uh, one time in particular, I was playing the, um, I always ran a suicide play that the the other team was going to pull. We got the uh, film, we traded film with other teams, and we knew when they got uh, 10, 10 yards out or whatever, who were they going to give the ball to? We recognized their formation from looking at film. And I can recall one incident where um, I was given the ball and everybody knew where I was going. They knew which hole I was running through. The only thing they didn't know was the count. And they ran that play four times. And uh, the first time I scored and the coach chewed them out. The second time I scored and it, the coach just jumped all over them. Uh, the third time, uh, they gave me the ball, everybody's knowing, and, uh, I scored again, but the last time, he, he got him so upset that, um, this is the only time I ever went home, and my mother, who was not squeamish, because, um, I came out of that, uh, I scored the fourth time, but somebody stomped my hand, they mashed my head down to, took the first layer of skin off. And I went home that evening, and my mother said to me, I think they're trying to kill you. <laughs> okay. And uh, they decided that nobody was going to be you, uh, was going to be a hero looking like me. So I, I went to all the practices. I went to all the uh, all out-of-town trips and the whole bit. But I never got in a game until the last play of the last game. <laughs> and we had scored, and we were kicking off of them, and it was less than a minute to go. And I got a call to go in the game. Well, I don't know who made the first tackle of the year, but the only play I got into with less than a minute to play, I made the last tackle of the year in 1956, the only time that they put me in. And I had been called over by the editor of the newspaper whose son was our quarterback and who told me that nobody ran the ball better than me. But I never got a chance to do it. The second year, um, I was told by the uh, line coach to come play defense because they were, now this is going against the grain. He told me they were not giving me a fair shake uh, running fullback. So I made first team uh uh, as a defensive linebacker, and I had we had one other guy, name was Tillett, uh, mm -hmm. of color, that was on a team, and I told him uh, during practice that when they blow the whistle for the first play, if I'm not on the first team, that I was going to turn in my uniform, and he said he was too. But uh, when they blew the whistle, we both was on the first team. Awesome. And he wound up, I think, playing and going to college in Iowa. And I wound up, uh, when I didn't get my uh, one uh, scholarship I wanted, first one was Marshall. I also got one to Kentucky State. And, um, but uh, I decided, well, let me go. Let me go and, and take some, uh, go somewhere where I can go to school at night. They, the military is going to send me to school. So that's how I made my decision. But the, the school that I had left, Douglas, uh, they sent uh, a scout up to my house, 
and and laying along come a paper of where I was to report. They were going to get me a job and told me the only thing I needed to bring was a pillowcase in my bedding. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was to Kentucky State, you know. Wow. But, uh, you know, uh, these things work out. And um, I got through that. I got to, between that, the NAACP and a few other organizations, I've seen 43 states and a few countries. And if you keep your eyes open, you learn something everywhere you go that you can Definitely use. You, now you, um, you know, the, it, it led to the military and, and, and the military experience, your, your honorable service, um, you received some inspiration and some gratitude to the NAACP. Um, and there's a story behind that. Could you tell me that story? Well, I was out in, uh, in Oregon, Thomas Falls, Oregon. And uh, my wife came to me one day and she says, um, we were living on the street there and I had not seen a person of color living on that street. And the first summer day, uh, I'm driving down my street to have my windows down. And uh, I see a little kid on the extreme end of the block where I was. And I rolled down and she was transfixed. She was staring at me. And I says, hi. And she says, hi, the N-word. Mm-hmm. And I said, someone had to tell her that. You know, it was, I was a little disappointed in that. But anyway, my wife told me, she says, uh, there's another color family around here somewhere. I saw the child. And tomorrow I'm going to follow them home. And she followed them home. And it was people from uh, Arkansas. I think they had five kids. And they were career path. Uh, and they introduced us to another uh, uh, family. So we would have functions together. And it was, uh, again, uh, in August. They, one of the uh, youngsters was having a birthday party. And I think it was about eight kids between the three families. And uh, uh, the two other airmen and myself decided to step across the street. Directly across the street was a little bar. And we went in there to have uh, a drink, a cold drink, summertime. So we asked for a pitcher of beer. And uh, uh, we were given a pitcher of beer. And we sat down and drank the beer. So uh, let's have another. We sent one fellow from Arkansas up to the table. And he came back. And he had this strange look on his face. And he says, they sit here out of beer. What's the likelihood uh, them being out of beer in a beer garden in a small little town like that, uh, half the size of Fairhaven. Mm-hmm. And so this one guy uh, from Baltimore says, here it's $10, bring us back a bottle, I'm not cheap. And the uh, at that point, the proprietor says, if uh, are these to go? And he says, no, the only way I will sell you a beer is to go. So we finished what we had in the uh, pitcher of beer. And the first inclination was to throw the furniture around or whatever. <laughs> then, but we both career, we, all three of us career airmen, because I was coming up on eight years. I was going to be re-enlisting shortly. And, um, well, it didn't happen. Uh, we contacted NAACP in Klamath Falls, Oregon. The NAACP in Columbus Falls, Oregon, was about 70% white. 
and they took our case over and they called in the alcohol beverage uh, commission and they sent a person up and they asked if we would do that again and why this person would come in and sit nearby. Well, they were running a radar mission up on the base and I had to be up there, but the other two guys went and they did the same thing and the fellow pulled out his credentials and told him he was from the Alcohol Beverage Commission and they could not selectively deny anyone and the lady says she didn't want her place to turn into a dive that's why she refused the service mm -hmm. the ironic thing about this this lady was a full pledged climbers indian 100 percent indian okay wow. when i first got there and i went to the education office and i signed up for some classes downtown and in uh, automotive uh i would i took up electric uh Ignition and uh, carburation. There's only thing open at that that time uh, of the year because I had quit the other technical school and Because uh, I had to move and uh, The guy asked me At the desk was a haha. -ha. He says say sergeant What uh, do you want the regular price or do you want the Indian price? And I said well, what's the Indian price and he said that's twice the regular price ha 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 mm-hmm Okay, now this lady is, uh, she's doing this to me. And uh, just before I got there, uh, maybe a year or two, uh, because the Klamath Indians never signed a treaty with the United States government, uh, and they were never defeated, uh, the government took their land and uh, they sold it. So by the time I got there a year earlier, every man, woman, and child in Klamath Falls got $42,000 from the federal government. And that was, uh, that is said about, might as well just handed it to all the vendors in town because they overcharged them for everything. But uh, I got called into, once this, this article uh, came, it uh, showed up in the paper, and I got called into the commander's office. And he says, well, go ahead and take care of that uh, hearing that you got downtown. He says, but uh, you can't wear your uniform, okay? The other two guys uh, had been, they were over, they had been in uh, longer than I had. They were all uh, working on their third enlistment, uh, and I was working on my second one. I was coming up on eight years. They were over 10 years, and they were not going to get out of service and, and dump 10 years or 12 years. Uh, but I outranked them, but... Uh, that's just because of the career field. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we went to the hearing and uh, they were told the same thing by their commander, which meant the base commander told the two other uh, commanders and my commander not to embarrass the Air Force by letting us go down with our class A uniform on. Okay. Wow. And so I told my wife, start packing. I says, uh, you know, if I can't wear this uniform downtown, uh, that's it. We were required at one time to wear it downtown to show the uh, monetary impact we had. One time they paid everybody in, uh, in $2 bills to show the impact that we had financially on that town. They did various things like that to kowtow to the locals. But when it came to stand by us, when we were being discriminated against, yeah. uh, on base, I was told that I could not wear my uniform, and I said, that's it. 
And that's the reason why I was not a, uh, you know, a retiree. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is based on, I don't know if I put it in this book, but my uncle got the Medal of Honor in Korea. And it took him 57 years to bury him in Arlington. Okay. So, you know, uh, it's, it is such intertwined racism in America. And that's why we have to fight it wherever it is and however we can. And um, just like women, uh, I gave uh, my speech in 2012 at BCC, Bristol Community College, was gender bias. Mm -hmm. And I made a statement there. And I asked a question. Who is the most discriminated against person uh, on the face of the earth? And I says, uh, I'm going to answer it for you. It's not a man and it's not a black man. It's a woman, period. Uh, this is ever since the apple, so-called. Uh, mm -hmm. Women have been uh, left out, overlooked, uh, denied, and what have you. Then I asked another question. Why can't we have a 50-50 relationship with the gender that produces 100% of the population? Well, I didn't get a, the correct answer from anybody on any of those. Okay? And I, I like to ask that question currently. Why can't we have that 50-50 relationship? So true. It is. Wow. It, that's that's profound. That's definitely uh Well, uh I had someone from the Catholic Church come up to me and ask me why didn't I ask the church that? I said <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's that's some heavy stuff and you know, uh I um Pope Francis is is working on it. You know. Mm -hmm. I have the greatest uh respect for the man. Uh, and I understand why uh, uh, my wife was named Frances because she was the uh, promised child. Her father mm -hmm. was in a sanatorium down in uh, Taunton. Mm -hmm. And her mother said if he survived and got out of that sanatorium for uh, TB, that she would have one more child. And that child was Frances, who was good to everybody. Yeah. Especially uh, all her uh, nieces and nephews. They, the mother and father might turn them down, but they could see Auntie Frances, and she never failed. How did, how did, how did a, a, a young man from West Virginia meet a young lady from New Bedford? How did that come about? Well, thanks to the Air Force, uh, I was sent here from uh, Headquarters Air Defense Command in Colorado Springs. And uh, my, uh, the place where they sent me was, uh, they call them Texas Towers. They're not in Texas, but they're built uh, the same idea as those platforms uh, drilling in the Gulf of Mexico, except we had radar on ours. Mm -hmm. And this is based on a survey and, and uh, some information from MIT saying early warning radar should be uh, beyond the horizon where it wouldn't be anything in front of it. So uh, we had two, well, originally it was going to be five towers. They actually only built three, and technology exceeded uh, what they were doing. By the time it was semi-automatic, by the time they built three of them, 
technology had surpassed what they were built for. Uh, we had the Connies flying out of Otis. There was airborne radar. We had the picket ships. That was the floating radar. And we were on Georgia Shoals, 110 miles east of Chatham. I originally, I, my orders was for Stewart Air Force Base in New York, but helicopters couldn't fly that far then. So they put us as close as they could, which was Falmouth. And the old choppers, Recid, uh, uh, they could only, uh, they were 20-man choppers, but they would only let 10 of us go at a time because of um, their limited range, being a Recid. And they sent two choppers instead of one because 10 in each one, and uh, while one refueled, the other one would hover and drop off his passenger. And, uh, you know, the fact is, uh, uh, flying uh, 110 miles east of Chatham, we used to fly from Falmouth to Chatham to get the last drop of fuel we could to get out there. Mm-hmm. And when uh, the revolution came, when they put in turbines, then we could make it. But uh, if, I, if it was not a flying day weather-wise, we came, took a boat in. So it was 18, mile, 18 hours on a boat or 55 minutes on a chopper, okay? We like to go out there on the boat because for 18 hours we didn't have any duties. And when we were coming in for our 10 days off, we couldn't get in here fast enough to start our 10 days. But uh, I came in uh, uh, for relaxation and recreation, R&R. We came to New Bedford. We used to do the scene on Cape Cod and any other place where they played music in New Bedford was uh, a great place for music. We had all of these, uh, the band club, uh, you know, you, you've had uh, 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 the West End Social, you had, uh, you had a five or six that you could go, and then they had downtown, um, what was the one now, is it, it is now a um, uh, coffee shop, but that was the Piccadilly Lounge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw world-class entertainment there yes. uh, that used to come to the Piccadilly. So we'd come to New Bedford. Uh, I would go to out to Falmouth, Zach's and Falmouth. I knew where all the places were, the Wigwam and, uh, and Mashpee. I knew where all these places were. If you like music, you hung with us. That's what we went into to go to the music. And I celebrated my 22nd birthday in the Blue Flame. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, then we went skinny dipping, and John's Pond. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, that's how I met my wife. Is when I came in, and I uh, I met her up uh, on of all places on Cedar Street, a uh, couple of blocks down from the where the NAACP is now. Her sister lived there where the playground is, uh, and I got to um, I met her there. And so after that, I stopped going to Queens when I got my 10 days off uh, or to Harlem. And because I had a place in New Bedford, I would come to New Bedford and babysit for people. And uh, they might let me stay. And my wife was working there. And when she got off from work, would go listen to music somewhere. And but that's originally how it started. And that's how I got to meet the lady from uh, New Bedford, Mass., you know. And uh, uh, she lived at 38 Russell Street, I think. You know some people live at 38 Russell Street. Yes, yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I still, I, I always wanted, to, yeah. 
I always wanted to buy that house just for that reason. You know, well, I, I, I tell you, I started the South Central Community Development Corporation. We bought that house and sold it. Wow. Okay, we bought that house, and my daughter-in-law worked on that house uh, as a student from uh, Volk. I got her hired because she was an excellent worker. That's why I thought she should be a, a Charlton, because I watched mm-hmm. her work at uh, at Volk. And I says, who's the little girl out working the uh, guys? And they says, oh, that's Lisa. Lisa Gomes. I says, and then I introduced her to the people in the South Central Community Development Corporation because we were uh, buying houses and, and selling, reselling them to people. And um, we we did, uh, we got uh, Liz DiCarlo and um, Viola, uh, I think a couple of houses. We were able to, and I took for seven years, I had the keys to the green school. Every time they broke a window in the green school, they called me. And I don't know why it was coincidental, but it, it happened to be every Sunday when it was a football game on, and I had to go down and block off a window. But... Uh, <laughs> All the neighbors knew for seven years who had the keys to the green school. But mm-hmm. look at what they, what purpose the green school is, is playing now. And yes. there's also a place in there for a historic, uh, uh, a little mo- uh, history place for Cape Verde. We designed it when we did that building. We made a room expressly for that. Uh, wow. Somebody should get around to that. I will. It has a special alarm and everything in it. But, no, that's how I got to New Bedford. That's my history, and I stick to it. Yes, that's some great. <laughs> that's some great history, and um, thank God. You know, Cedar. So now, Cedar Street is just that's you. You know, when I, and you talk about your family, you definitely got to bring up Cedar Street, no matter what. It well, brought, Cedar Street. I can tell you that Cedar Street. When I went in there, uh, the NAACP was not allowed to acquire. Uh, property to 1984 when they bought their property down in um, Baltimore. Uh, mm-hmm. Somehow, someone thought that if you didn't own any property, they couldn't sue you. Well, the people down in Mississippi proved that wrong. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, I went up to the building, and it took me 10 years to get the uh, $55,000 in taxes that was levied on them by the uh, uh, city council down here, uh, the uh, uh because they said they had not filed the proper papers, and of course, legally they hadn't. But working with Representative Strauss, uh, the federal government, uh, the state government, Secretary of State, I got to know more. I got an education on what not to do. And uh, we settled that, and I got all the paperwork on when uh, John Bullitt, thanks to John Bullitt, God give the man credit. John Bullitt uh, sent a uh, lady down from the assessor's office, and we worked out a deal where we um, we found out that we didn't owe that. And in retrospect, we got all of those taxes abated, but I think um, there was only 5500 5, rather than 55000 And uh, I worked with people and uh, got the money and paid that off. And I got the paper right here in my office here at home stating that uh, from Representative Strauss uh, saying congratulations after 10 years. And Strauss did the work. He did the work. Uh, I, I did everything I was told. I had to go get an audit. I had to get a, a bookkeeper, a licensed uh, uh, you know, person who did that. Uh, touched all the bases, and we got it done. So that's why I says... You know, it's not easy. 
It is not oh. easy to get anything done that should be done. And sometimes you have to come over and look at my office because I'm loaded with all that paperwork. I left it in the files up there, but I got copies. I like to do that this week coming up, you know. Oh, like by all means, come in. Come on in. I would. Um, I'm just going to tell my wife, give me a friendly reminder. I'm going to make that happen. I'll call you first and we can set sure, that sure up. Sure, you ain't your chain, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, um, for that, you know, I used to come home in the evening and she'd tell, my wife would tell me, well, you got three meetings. <laughs> <laughs> she, she definitely. She signed me up for them, too. She's yeah, the one to sign me up. I was Title One, uh, President Title One here. And the only reason they made me president title one, I was the only man that showed up at the meetings and they would have to hold a meeting to seven o'clock because it took me. I didn't get back in town at seven o'clock. I worked in Boston. Wow. Yeah. that. Uh, you know, you you've been around throughout my life, throughout my life. And, and I remember the experience of, you know, participating in the the NAACP Axel Award, you know, uh, program. Yeah, you were our port. You were our port. Yeah. I uh -huh. love it. Yeah. Oh. And, and fact, I got your uh, book. I got your book. <laughs> well, I got I got plenty more. I, I definitely gotta I gotta get my books out there because it's it's at fifteen now, so I need to get some more out there and uh Oh yeah, I need them. I, I hey if you come over I got a library. Uh, my dining room, what was my dining room, is now my library. I got to get you over here. Yeah, I, w I will. I'll be there. Um, Paul Gomes says he remembers the sign, Lee's Bees. I got it in my house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that I had that in school, and that's mm -hmm. because I went to school with the Seabees. Uh, the Air Force sent me to school with the Seabees, and... Um, uh, because the Air Force no longer had a school for steam engineering, pipe fitting, and what have you. And I just love their attitude, you know, uh, which means that uh, we have done so much for so long, for so little, now we can do anything with nothing. So I adopted that, and I had the sign. I had to show you the sign. I had uh, the art class do it, and I put it over my door. Mm -hmm. And underneath it says, we service the best, meaning best faculty, the best student body, the best everything at vocational. And I got, I have six of those bricks up there, if you ever go up there, named after my family members, because I believe in voc, like, uh, you know, uh, that is salvation for so many people. If you got a, if you got a vocation, you can live, but you got to be able to exchange something. It's, it's time that we gave up being the fools, the mules, and the tools that sell drugs or without, without a profession, you got to do whatever they don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And I found out, you know, by having a profession and, you know, I took all the courses they had up at Voc. In fact, I made the largest quilt ever made at Vocational because I took that too. So, <laughs> Charlie, got to get you into my house. I know our time must be running um, close. Mm -hmm. It uh, it's um, a little but a little past an hour. But you know, feel free. You want to tell another story? That's up to you. You know, I uh, yeah, I um, I um, 
I advise a lot of people who are in the lockup at uh, in the sheriff's department. I found a number where they could call, and uh, I can call for them. But uh, there is a legal firm with uh, lawyers. They could call on Mondays, and I had several complaints from from you can imagine. And uh, they could I would write them a letter and put the uh, number. They had to call, and they had to be on Mondays between. The hour at one and four o'clock, but they had to plead their own case. And uh, I've had some dillies, and um, like I say, I'm putting, I'm collecting, spending this time putting all of these uh, documents together because it'll make a good book for somebody one of these years, you know, on how I was able to do what I was because I had lots of help from people like yourself. Thank you, thank you, and um, thanks for being a mentor, a leader. Um, and I'm very, very honored to definitely know you, be around you, be around your family, you know, um, your son and your daughter has definitely been great, great people to me over the years. Um, your, your daughter-in-law, we've been friends since I think, wow, first grade, maybe second grade. So we go back a long, long time and, um, and I'm very proud of, of Lee. Not little Lee anymore. That's a no, 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 no. <laughs> that's a grown man and doing great things. Got, got, got great skills and uh, and he used them. And thanks to Volk, he's supposed to be a plumber, but you see what he's doing, right? He's plumbing on on computers. <laughs> <laughs> I think he, I think he stretched it, didn't he? Yeah, pays the bills. There, right? There's no limit to what you can do if you apply. Exactly, exactly. So. Um, another great podcast. Thanks to you. And I really, really appreciate it. Um, and anytime you want to come on here again, we're definitely going to invite you. Now, uh, I got to get your schedule because now, uh, my grandson had taught me how to, now I've worked for IBM for five years, uh, headquarters computer division. So I should be more versed in this than I am, but, uh, uh-huh. and we invented the, invented the personal computers right down there where I was. And you'd be very surprised that uh, the fellow with many of the um, uh, fr- uh, the uh, invention uh, that have he owns the uh, the inventions is a person of color, and he was in the same building I was in New York. Wow! And I I never met him when I was there, but I've mm-hmm. met a lot of bright people. And uh, they gave me a test, and I, they sent me back here. And the only way I could get back here was to uh, to uh, go to school in Waltham to be a customer engineer for IBM. They gave wow. me that opportunity. Okay, and that was one of the nice letters I think I submitted when I went for the plant engineer's job was uh, a letter from the president of IBM saying this guy is a good worker. He knows awesome. what he's doing. Yeah. So it's hard to beat that. But Charlie, again. It's reciprocal. Thank you for what you're doing and what you've done for so long and uh, made me look good because, uh, you know, when you were looking uh, to become a resource officer, I put you on the top of the list, you and uh, Rita. I said, you can't find two better ones than this. And it was true. Who was Hazel Brittle? (laughs) Hazel Brittle. Yes, good woman. We know Hazel. Hazel. Yes, Hazel. Hazel. Well, she Definitely. was, uh, my, my wife used to call her, her little sister, my little mm-hmm. sister, the good friend. 
But okay. That's, uh, oh, yeah. let me see. Got another. Okay, people chipping in, huh? Yeah, sending his love. All right. Well, Mr. Charlton, we're definitely going to do this again, and I'll okay. see you the coming week. Um, God bless. Okay, just, just let me know. I'm here all the time. I'm quarantined. I got one shot. I, I'm due for the second one on the 7th, and then I'll be, uh, I won't be contagious. Okay. <laughs> or a I'll recipient. Definitely. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll definitely talk to you after the 4th. That's what I'll do. Okay. Thanks again for the invite. And Thank thanks you, for Randy. what you're doing for the community. Thank you also. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Good night. Good night. Great, great show again. Um, thanks to the guests. The guests make this show possible, and I'm very, very, um, very, very happy to have them on here. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, yep, well done, Uncle Lee. That's definitely he's well done. Story's unbelievable, and that's just a small part of uh, the knowledge that comes from that man. And I really, really appreciate him and all that he's done. Um, you know, good, bad, or ugly. Sometimes we all don't dis we don't all don't agree. You know, and um, but you know, it take you got to stand by people that are there, people that are, are doing things like volunteering, and 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 actually standing up for things. And Lee's been there to stand up. So thank you very much. Thank you all for viewing and listening to the Really Charlie podcast. Um, we have another one coming up, you know, this week. So uh, stay tuned and God bless everyone. I appreciate y'all. Thank you.